This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always más. Thank you for tuning in. This is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante, author of The Tip of the Pyramid, Cultivating Community Cultural Capital, and you're joining us on a multi-platform broadcast of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. I'm going to give all of you the context of this broadcast and this episode. I want to say hi to our dear friend, uh, Juan Carmona, who is coming in live right now in Alamo, Texas. So we look forward to chatting with you. But first of all, un abrazo grande. Great to see you here, especially after I just saw you at the uh, Mexican American Studies Summit. So saludos, amigo. Well, thanks for having me on, Tony. And thanks for giving me the platform to share this story as well. And it's good to see you again. No, fantastic. And I want folks to know that this is a really vital story about some of our history that has been obscured, but has shaped a lot of policies that are in effect today, but it always goes back to the same issue that our community has to have access to its history and its stories. And the only way that's going to happen is if we do it. So we're going to hope that you will support public libraries, family libraries, and underground libraries. And of course, we're doing our part by broadcasting this show that airs on 90.1 FM KPFT, Houston's community station. That's 100,000 watts in the fourth largest city in America. And even as we create this multi-platform broadcast, I always want to remind people that KPFT was one of our first platforms. It continues to play a vital role in the Latino community because some of our gente do not have access to social media, to stable internet, or they want to pay for the services that you have to pay to get some of the other platforms. I love that we still have this outlet on free radio. And I also appreciate all the supporters who still tune in either on the live stream on kpft.org or still look for us when we air live on the air. That means so much. And of course, I want to remind all those folks that KPFT is a listener funded radio station we really want to do our part to support the station. So if you can, please make a donation to KPFT in the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say, by either calling 713-526-5738 or going to the website kpft.org. And I want you to know that every donation helps us go towards our goal to make sure that we can keep doing this show where we broadcast our terms on our terms. Why is that important? Because today we're going to tell you about a story you did not know. We're making it available to you through this radio show. Additionally, uh, Juan has been very generous. He's donated copies of his book to the Latino bookstore in San Antonio at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, where during business hours, you can go in any day of the week and pick that copy up. And we're going to be talking about the Alton bus crash, which has really shaped that part of Texas 
as well as the rest of Texas. And Juan, it really is great to have you on the show. I know you as an activist, a professor, uh, your award-winning writer, scholar, and this is such an important book. Uh, do me a favor. Can you tell folks a little bit about this moment in history that has been overlooked, but that now you're making sure people will be aware of this? September 21st, 1989, in Alton, Texas, we had a, um, a bus, um, mission school bus number six that had just picked up its last, its last passengers in Alton, Texas. Now, these students from Alton actually attended mission schools because at the time, Alton didn't have its own schools. So it was, they would be picked up and taken to mission. And, they, and that bus had literally just picked up the last group of kids. It was on its second route. Buses usually, the first route's usually the elementary kids. Then the second route is usually the middle and high school students. So that's the age group of the students that were in the bus. The city of Alton has a large amount of what we refer to as caliche pits or gravel pits throughout the city. Actually, in the early um, 20th century, that was actually one of its big businesses was exporting this caliche at the time period where they're building all these skyscrapers and concrete and stuff. So the city has many of them. The, you know, there was the one involved in the crash, but there's several others which were even bigger than that one. So, you know, if you drive through Alton today, you, you'll see caliche pits here and there. So the bus was, you know, loaded and it was, you know, it was, it was, you know, going to go ahead to Mission High School. At the same time, a Dr. Pepper truck driven by Ruben Perez, full of beverages, owned by Valley Coca-Cola, had just made its first stop which is important because that means the trailer was still pretty full and still pretty heavy. As the school bus made its way toward Bryan Road, the, uh, Ruben Pettis' truck is coming up the road. His loader, because every truck has the driver and the loader who helps unload the beverages, tells him, hey, there's a, there's a stop sign coming up. And so Ruben claims that his brakes didn't work. And he tried you know, his regular brakes, the truck brakes, and they didn't work. And he ends up colliding with the bus. And this is right on the corner of a caliche pit that had been full of water from all these rains. To this day, it still builds up some water there. Back then, there was no barriers, fences, anything around these caliche pits. There was no law that said they had to. So it was literally wide open. Um, he collides with the bus, the front part of the bus, but that doesn't send into the caliche pit. When he collides, the trailer swings and kind of like swats the back of the bus. And that's what sends it into the caliche pit, which is full of water. It lands on its front, then it lands on its side. And it's, it's completely submerged in water. One of the more tragic things, pictures in, in the book, that, and when I was doing the research, is there was literally, it landed in the water, but there was literally only inches to the surface. You, you know, and that's what makes it so tragic that some of these kids couldn't make it out. In the crash, you know, everyone's jumbled around, people are thrown to the side. And the only exit to get out of that bus, because it was smashed where the, the front door was, and the emergency exit, which was the only other exit in the bus back then, which you have to, you know, you pull down and you push, they literally had to push up into the water because of the way it had landed. So they couldn't get out that way. So the only way they could get out was through the windows. And I'm 48 going on 49. I remember riding the buses back then. Uh, I was in high school at this time period. And if anyone remembers how those windows were, they were small. And you used to have to push these little latches on the side to the point where it hurt and it had three different settings. Imagine trying to do all that as the bus is filling with water and people are spilling over everybody. And in the end, um, 19 kids died there and then 
Three more would later die in the hospital, bringing the death toll to 21. According to the coroner's report, everyone who died in that bus died from drowning. So what does that mean? If they could have gotten out, they could they they would have they would have lived. Everyone who got you know it, so it was a, just a matter of like making you know it was a matter of how, it was escape possible. That you know that was one of the contentions that would later turn into like all these safety changes that happened. Now this leads to you know you know huge tragedy. It, it's just such a crazy story of what happens that during the the rescue and after the rescue, and um, of, of course like I mentioned earlier, this involves Valley Coca Cola. Um, and this blows up into a series of lawsuits and lawsuits between plaintiffs, lawsuits between lawyers. It, it just gets super crazy. Wow. No, and, and I think there's so much to, to to dig into. So we're talking about 35 years ago. Um, we want to touch on why this has been obscured by by history. But also, let's go back to some of the forces that lead up to this because – What's also fascinating as you break down, there's also a lot of commerce involved. So obviously the Dr. Pepper truck, that's a business in action. The gravel pit, talk to us a little bit about that industry. And also, by the way, even buses, school buses are another industry and education mm -hmm. is industry. So it's almost like all this intersection of mm -hmm. these forces. And I will say this, and we can touch on that too. I think too it's maybe the fact that they were unrestricted un unregulated but but go ahead tell me a little more about especially the gravel pit industry is that still a big industry and are, you're saying these gravel pits are still there after 35 years oh yeah they're all fenced in i mean when when i take drives up there because there's a memorial there on the in the corner where the actual accident happened like when you take the drive up there you know that's how i know i'm getting close to alton I'll start to see pits on either side of the road. And like I said, it, it, like it, it's really interesting because I've, some of my research and stuff is also about the conversion of ranching to farming here in the valley. In that same time period when the, that's becoming a booming industry in the valley, in Alton, it's actually the gravel that they're shipping out of Alton. Because like I said, this is during what we refer to as the Gilded Age when all the skyscrapers are going up and stuff and they need all this concrete and all this gravel. And that's where you know Alton, you know, that was its industry back in the day. And so, you know, there was a railroad that went through there. So they would load it with gravel and take it up north. It was just a very different history than the rest of the valley when we're looking at ranching to farming and stuff. There, it was this, this gravel pit industry. I'd also like to throw in, and mm -hmm. I'd like to know what you think. Is this yet one more example of corporations just running rampant for profit throughout Texas? And I mean, looking back, it sounds outlandish that there'd be this wide open gravel pit right next mm -hmm. to a road. Yeah, a busy road. I mean, you have a school bus that's going through. Um, I remember when I was doing the research and it becomes like when you're listening to it, it seems like some people are just passing the buck. Because people like a couple of weeks before that, a couple of kids fell and drowned as well in their car. Oh, my gosh. So they were like, well, we should do something about it. And the city's like, well, that's not our responsibility. It's the county. The county's not our responsibility. It's the state. State's like, oh, it's not exactly the state responsibility. It's the Railroad Commission. And it was just like going round and round. And I always talk to my students when I think about something like this. It's like when you're walking around your house, when you're, you know, or just anywhere, you'll see like, oh, that might fall down. That looks dangerous. But you don't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for so long, probably people are thinking this probably isn't like the smartest thing to do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? but no one does anything. And it takes something horrible 
to happen to like, oh, we should really do something. So when it comes to the, the pitch, you know, that that was like everyone in, you know, it's someone else's fault, someone else's thing, someone else's thing. And no one wants to do anything about it when it's just, it's a public danger, you know, and obviously, you know, that highlighted that. And when you look at industry and regulation, what's really interesting is the truck that was used that day, you mm -hmm. know, there's a whole contention about the brakes, but um, it was, there was a law that was passed to make, make sure that they were all, there was a series of routine inspections that happened every couple of weeks that they had to happen. Um, and so this law was passed in Texas, but the beverage industry fought to get a delay in that law wow. being enacted because they said it was just going to cost them too much to get that many inspectors and stuff. So it hadn't, although the law was passed and the, and the inspector said, had they seen the truck that day, it wouldn't have gone out. But because they delayed the law, that truck went out. Tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. We're talking to Juan Carmona, and we're digging into his book, The Alton Bus Crash. If you want to pick up a copy, it is available in many places, including the Latino Bookstore at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center in San Antonio. And, of course, you're tuning into KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston's Community Station. If you can make a donation to hear more about this lost history, hidden history, please do so. And you can do so by calling 713-526-5738 or visiting kpft.org. So Juan, you mentioned then that 19 children lose their lives. It is reported from the drowning. So does that mean then that there was possibly a way then you had the crash the school bus falling into these gravel pits, which were part of the commerce of the day, of course, unregulated at the time, they may have survived or is that debated too? No, um, th there's no traumatic injuries. Uh, it was simply, they just couldn't get out. Um, and like I mentioned before, um, it was the only way out was through the windows. Now um, the, the other kids that died, um, died from, you know, um, water in their lungs, but also from infections. Was that water, was just stagnant laying there. There was all kinds of stuff in that water, including at that point, oh, diesel from the oh, truck, from the bus. But it's just think about like stagnant water. I remember when I went, when I was writing the book a few years ago, um, I could still see some pipes coming out of the wall. I don't know where they were coming from, just pouring water into it. In fact, everyone who went into the water, the rescuers, everyone, they had to get multi-spectrum antibiotics because they had no idea what they were but wow. you know what they encountered when they were in that water so you know that that led to you know three more students you know passing away in the hospital so right there too you have all these environmental issues mm -hmm. that touch on environmental justice that of course such instances like that are evident even here in houston mm -hmm. where you've got toxic contamination so there's that component let me ask you something then though but you point out in the book though that this was a major media event though can you break that down for us but yeah, yeah i mean because at that time it, it was you know literally chaos um uh, i was a paramedic years after this and you know we did we would do these you know drills for mass guys you know all that stuff was just new there was no cell phones no nothing 
so what ends up happening is just everybody and anybody shows up to help. So you have sheriff, you have the local police, you have fire departments from all over the valley. Um, you have the border patrol, DPS, just everyone just showing up and it just becomes an amalgamation. So that, you know, that's one reason it becomes big news because you have all these agencies showing up. Mm -hmm. um, and then just the chaos at the scene uh, when they start to, bring the bodies out. They have to find a place to put them all. They even have to find another judge to help pronounce people passing away as parents. No cell phones, no nothing. Most of the kids were in the neighborhood. So um, in, in a very, very poor neighbor neighborhood, some it's reported that some people didn't even have like floors. It was dirt floors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So imagine, you know, this is, you know, poor Mexican American community. I need to emphasize that because it, this goes into like some of the criticism, the media coverage is, you know, we had a lot of people come in, and when shortly after, when there was calls like that, we need to look into this and stuff, they all wondered why the governor of Texas at the time did not come to accident when just this is September in March, you know, previous, you know, in March of the same year, you had this other horrific event, um, um, the Mark Kilroy murder it was a spring breaker that crossed into Mexico and was killed um, mm -hmm. by a cult. And he came down for that. And here you had 21 Mexican kids, Mexican American kids die, and he sends a representative. And I think what also balloons from this is lawsuits that come out after this. And this becomes its own major issue in Texas that people still deal with to this day. Because this is, this is one of the reasons Texas passes all these anti-lawsuit abuses that put caps on, on um, how much you can get awarded, which at this point by now, there's so many things that lawyers won't take the case because they're not going to make that much money because of the cap. A lot, a lot of times I'm, um, I'm asked, like, why did you write this? And, you know, do I have like, you know, did I know anyone who, um, who, you know, passed away or, um, you know, how, what's my connection to this? And so um, I tell people the same story because the very, sadly, the very first person I ever saw die, I guess is the best way to say it, was from bus accident. Mm -hmm. So, and so bus accidents will always like trigger that memory. I'm going to read just a little piece what I opened the book with just to, you know, set like why this is something that really I'm really like connected to something I listened to something I really want to learn more about. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're tuning in, you are experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. We've been chatting with Juan Carmona, who is the author of The Alton Bus Crash. He's about to read an excerpt for us. And you can draw parallels between what happened then to the Uvalde crisis right now, which we can talk about. You can draw parallels to how crises in our community are not handled the same way. And you can also point to other environmental atrocities going on at the same time. But uh, here, live on the air, joining us with an excerpt from the Alton bus crash is Juan Carmona. It was a usual hot valley afternoon uh, me and my cousin Gabriel, um, cousin Gabriel and I were walking home from school. We could feel the heat radiating from the black asphalt as we walked along side old Highway 83, the highway that ran the length of the Rio Grande Valley where I grew up. 
as the valley developed it and the railroad tracks that are parallel to it were usually the dividing point between rich and poor, Anglo and Mexican. In Donna, where I grew up, it was the southern side for the Mexicans and the northern side for the Anglos. One could easily assess this as you drove north and south of the city. For other cities in the valley, it was the opposite. However, there was always some sort of division along the tracks. As we walked along the highway toward my house, we could feel the hot wind of the cars as they flew by us and kicked up some of the ever-present dust, which accumulated in all things during the periods of drought. We had just come up to a neighborhood corner store that was along the way when a bus passed us. And just as it did, the emergency door flew open and a young Mexican boy flung out of the bus and landed on the road just before us. I froze. I can still see him laying there on his stomach a few feet away from us, from me. His head turned to the left. I heard a crack as he hit the ground. His mouth was slightly open and either from his mouth and or his head, there was a bright red blood running along the black asphalt. I stood frozen and stared shocked, fascinated and afraid as I did not know what to do. The bus kept going unaware of it. My, it was minus one passenger. This is the time period before cell phones or even 911, a time when you actually had to memorize numbers. And at that moment, my mind was blank. My cousin, on the other hand, knew exactly what to do. We ran toward the store and were met by the clerk who had seen what had happened from the counter. My cousin yelled, call the police. The clerk looked just befuddled as myself. I don't know. And he, in my, you know, 464-4481, Gabriel yelled at him, call 464-4481. The young man from the store stood frozen, looked beyond us to the poor boy bleeding his life away on the asphalt. Gabriel ran in, made the call. I wish I could write more about what actually happened that day, but this is all I can recall. I didn't even go home and tell my family. I just went home, listened to the news, and heard that he was leaning against the emergency lever when it popped open. That story has stayed in the recesses of my mind since it happened. Every time we hear about a school bus accident, the image of that boy laying on the ground with the color of the blood against the asphalt is what pops in my, into my mind. That was the first image that came to me on September 21st, 1989, when someone came into Mrs. Morales' Spanish class and said that there had been a bus accident and some students had been killed. That is Juan Carmona sharing with us an excerpt from his book, The Alton Bus Crash. And you're touching on the legacy of trauma for our gente. And I really appreciate you digging in deep to, to share that, to write that, to go back to that and link it to, to the Alton Bus Crash and, and bring it back to our bring it back to our um, attention. Um, I feel odd asking this question Good. because I mean, all we have to do is look at all the recent rash of school shootings that mm -hmm. last three weeks in the news cycle. And then people forget about people have to go out of their way to commemorate them a year later. So perhaps we know how this winds up being overlooked, but what was the impression of this event at the time? And why do you think it has drifted away from the attention of, of the American imagination? At the time, there was, you know, immediately it was a great community response, immediately. But that took a sour turn in time. 
but immediately great response. You know, everyone, what can we do? What can we do? And, you know, people donating and sending money and just, you know, whatever they could do. But in time, as like, you know, money became a thing, as lawsuits became a thing, it, it literally, and it's something that like, I, I have to say in doing this research, it was actually hard to get a lot of people to talk to me wow. because this community is still scarred by it. I had people that would talk to me on the phone for briefly, but they're like, I don't want to be interviewed. I don't want to talk about it. And I think the trauma of it and then the trauma of like the community tearing itself apart, I think mm -hmm. even within the community kind of silenced it. What's really fascinating is that I was looking for um, anything I could find about the event. I'm also... Um, I was looking for a picture of like the students in high school and stuff like that. And I'd been hunting and hunting. I really couldn't find much um, of the images I wanted. And then someone pointed out to me, why don't you go to um, their library? I'm sure they have a yearbook. Mm -hmm. So I, I got permission to go into their library. They actually had archives. I was really impressed. Mission high school. Oh. Um, but, and they had, they used to have a literary journal and a newspaper. Wow. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to find like a wealth of information. I found one reference. Wow. And it was just like the they held an event. And the principal said something. That was it. They had a, their, their end of the year newspaper where it like highlighted every month what had happened. Nothing there. The literary newspaper, you know, magazine that they had, no real like, you know, poem or anything about it. Mm. And I think immediately uh, what probably the kids were told is like, don't talk about it. It was too traumatic. And so I think that plays into it. And then the whole thing about like what happens with, you know, oh, you're getting all this money. People, there's this jealousy, you know, you know, why don't you share with the community? Um, heck, even even like the local priest, he talked about how all the other priests, oh, we're so jealous. You're going to have all this money to go into. And it, it, it becomes this hor like a secondary story that's just so horrible. Every time I would dig into the archives, I would find something else that was like got worse, like um, the fact mm -hmm. that LULAC got involved and it ends up having to be dissolved and redone because of monies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. it, it just becomes this very tragic story, but also that people use it as, like I said, you know, oh, look at all these lawsuits. We shouldn't do, put a cap mm -hmm. on it. Um, and what I noticed when I'm doing the research, went to the newspapers, like you'll see it for like a week or two and then it just disappears. Like you were saying, like we talk about it, talk about it, and it doesn't show up in the newspapers again until the trial for, of the truck driver. Mm. And then it disappears again. And and in the end, you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, um, you know, people that like in, in, in the national scheme mattered. I'm sure we would still be having memorials if this happened in another part of our country. Mm. The only thing ever written about it, but not really about it, is the sweet hereafter. Mm. And the more interesting part about it is it's because um, the guy, the author of it, who um, read about Alton bus crash. And he decided to write a book about it. It's a work of fiction, but he put it on the Canadian border. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It turned into a film as well called The Sweet Hereafter. But but to your point, it, it's our communities are these backyards for mm -hmm. these different corporations to make money without regulation. You have these collisions of these forces. Here's a small community that doesn't know how to handle it. It's not sure how to handle it. It's a big tragedy. And at the same time, then the reaction is to, to clamp down on ways that people can get compensated from corporations. There's so many parallels to, to what's going on in Uvalde, which is still 
settling right now that I think you really touched on this, the, the, this powerful example in history where, again, there's that trauma, how we deal with it. And, and it appears that our history is, you know, swept under the rug. We're not taught to, to deal with it. And hopefully people will learn from your book. Mention some of the other regulations that have stemmed from from what, what uh, transpired. Oh yeah. yeah, if you go into a school bus today, um, you'll see hatches on the roofs. You'll see uh, the, the, the windows are much bigger and they're easier to open. Some buses have sections, the whole sections of windows that will open. Right. Yeah, um, I remember one of the things I wanted to do as I was finishing the book, I was like, let me just look, Google real quick bus crash just to see if any of these things have been used. And right away, Mesquite, Texas, a bus hits a light pole. Light pole falls down. Bus catches fire. Everybody escapes out of the hatches on the roofs. Wow. All those things. And the fact that we now, because I, I teach in high school, we now do bus drills. Like to show the kids, you know, you can go here, you can go there. This is how you open this. You know, you know, just in case wow. this has happened. So this is how it's spiraled out. And also, um, you know, now you have to, there's no such thing as open pits anymore. You have to have barriers. You have to have fences. You, you know, this can't happen again. So, you know, all those are changes that, like, we see every day. And they're not just national changes. I, I had the privilege um, this past November of uh, being invited to Miami to mm -hmm. speak at the Family Assistance Education Research Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, they're a group of – it's a nonprofit. I had never heard of them. But what they do is they respond to mass casualty incidences. Mm. They help out with whatever they can. They're the ones who bring groceries to you if you're stuck at the house. You know, make sure you're taken care of. They they take care of all the stuff that other people don't think about. And they counsel mm -hmm. the families. They, they train people to do this. They have a great training system. Um, and they're international. They, you know, they uh, I believe they responded to that volcano in North New, New, New Zealand. Mm. They're trying to rescue people from there. Um, but yeah, and so... I just got an email from them out of the blue and they're like, we read your book and we love it. And we want you awesome. to come talk, talk. Wow. And then it, they're setting up the, the everything. And they're like, you know how we know about it? And I said, how? And they said, one of our members from Perth, Australia, read your book and <sighs> gave it to the whole board. Wow. <laughs> and, that, and that just touched me knowing that it, the story's getting out. So I'm there mm -hmm. talking and this is a, multinational corporate, you know, mm -hmm. so there's people from Germany, from Australia, from all over here, hearing the story. So it was a privilege to share the story with the world. But then I had one guy, I forgot where in South America, he had a bus company and he, he was coming to listen because of, you know, you know, safety in his buses. He's like, I had no idea the buses I use have all those things. Wow. And I had no idea that, that this is where they come from. So it's not just changes here. It's changes globally. Wow. And all because, you know, mm -hmm. 21 students, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they're not remember, you know, not remembered at all. But here's all these safety things that are saving lives today.
Well, we're happy to help with Nuestro Granito de Arena to spread that word. You are tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Heaven to Say. We are chatting with Juan Carmona, talking about his book, The Alton Bus Crash, which is a really powerful rendition of this moment in history that you are fighting to keep alive. And we're very grateful that you've donated copies to the Latino Bookstore at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center so that folks can get their hands on it. We're happy to have you on the air today to, to talk about it. Um, it's also available through our podcast, so we hope that people will share it. And of course, for those tuning in to 90.1 FM KPFT, we hope that you will go to kpft.org or call 713-526-5738 to donate to KPFT, Houston's community station, on behalf of Nuestra Palabra, so we can tell stories like this, our terms on our terms. One, there's so much to talk about your book. We want to titillate folks so that they will you know, look further into it. We appreciate you giving an overview. But tell us some of the projects that you're working on right now because you take a lot of time to give to students, give to community, but you are a scholar and a writer. So that's such an important facet of what you do. I'd like to give a little attention to that. Uh, yeah, I'm currently working on three different projects. One, it, well, it's not working, it's going to be coming out. Um, it, it, it's a project that started off in my classroom during COVID. My Mexican American history class is a dual enrollment class, um, and I'm always trying to engage these kids in local history and stuff. And the summer of before we went back to school, I just remember getting stuck in a traffic in, where, in Alamo, where I live, and I just see this historical marker off in the distance. I can't see too much, but I can make out the words train crash. So I immediately come to my my home, this office, and I Google it. And it turned out March 14, 1940, a train strikes a truckload of farm workers, killing, if I remember correctly, 19 and injuring. We're not even sure. because Just putting the, the list of people that died that day was difficult because of just misrepresentation. Um, this, you know, people published the wrong names, you know, Anglo mm. newspapers, and it was just a mess. That was actually the most difficult part of writing the book is getting an actual list of who died that day. But you had these farm workers just going to feed their families, people that feed our country. I'm the son of a farm worker. Mm. So, and, and my co-author, you know, son is the daughter of farm, farm workers. And me too, by the but, way. So I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, like, uh, we know these people. These people work hard every day, mm -hmm. and here, you know, and here they're, you know, they die just trying to provide for their family and for the nation. And so, this, I, I like the story, and I was like trying to figure out what to do with my kids. So, I got the idea of doing a podcast. So, we would meet on, we would meet on Google Meets. I had a little folder. I threw in all the research, and they kept researching. Then we put it in little groups, made our little pieces, and it turned into a five episode podcast. Um, and then we just got so much information that the girl who narrated the podcast, Taylor Seaver, um, she be, she graduated and went to school in her major's history. So I was like, you know what, kid, I want to turn this into a book. You want you want the experience wow. of writing a book, so wow. we wrote it together, um, and it it should be out by the anniversary, which is March 14th. And we both did it. I mean, it's a tragic incident, but we really wanted to highlight the lives mm -hmm. of farm workers. We really want to highlight the sacrifice of farm workers. That really is powerful one, especially like you say, it is the children of farm workers that probably the same way my folks told me, they told you that they're breaking their backs so we don't have to break our backs when we work and we can mm -hmm. use our brains and you're doing that and you're setting the story straight. So thank you for doing that. But I also love that 
you uh, who've been given Teacher of the Year awards are helping one of your students get published. That's huge as well. So, hey, you, you talk the talk and walk the walk, Juan. Appreciate all that you do. Gracias. Thank you. We have been talking to Juan Carmona, author of The Alton Bus Crash, and the book is available through all different formats and all different outlets that you can imagine, including copies at the Latino Bookstore at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center in San Antonio, Texas. And I do want to give a shout out to our team, of course, Roxana Guzman, who is our multi-platform producer. Also, Rodrigo Bravo Jr., who is our audio producer and helps also with so many things for Nuestra Palabra. Uh, my name is Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante. Shout out to all of our crew. And, of course, I want to give a shout out to 90.1 FM KPFT, your Houston community station. And I want to remind you one more time, if you are able to, to budget a donation to KPFT in the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers have in their sense. So we can continue to bringing the art, culture, and history that is either obscured, erased, or attacked because our community and our people and our friends and our allies and all of us need to know these stories. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you again, Juan. And we will see you next time. Thanks. Right, thank you so much for your time.